0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to a mind-blowing edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Matrix himself, Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today?
1: Uh,
2: Doing great. I had a a haircut recently, so I'm feeling good. Got my bangs (laughs) trimmed and ready to rock today. It will be a mind-blowing episode, without a doubt.
0: (laughs) You are rocking it, as always. Uh, But I am very, very curious to know, as always, who is our guest today?
2: Well, I'm pleased to say it's Malcolm Harkins. So he is a powerful cybersecurity leader, and I have to read his title because I can't remember that many words all in one shot. He's the chief security and trust officer at a company called Cymatic. I know he talks about leadership. He talks very bluntly about cybersecurity, what works and what really doesn't. So I'm ready to mix it up.
0: It is very, very cool to have one of the, I'd say, global thought leaders in cybersecurity, um, in, in Malcolm here being on the show. You know, he is, I'd say he's one of the more pre, preeminent guests that we've had. So uh, we, will, we will pause here and then we'll bring in Malcolm uh, shortly.
2: Let's do it. All the way from Sacramento, California, it is Malcolm Harkins. We are so glad to have you on the show today. Welcome, Malcolm.
1: Hey, thanks. Happy to be here.
2: Awesome. So let's start general and then we'll drill down into specifics and hopefully find whatever bee might be uh, buzzing around in your bonnet today. Uh, Our podcast is called Cybersecurity Matters. And I want to ask, why does cybersecurity matter for organizations, when we're thinking about framing risk, we're thinking, you know, why does it matter in the minds of business leaders, not just for financial loss to an organization, but around the importance to, you know, their clients and then, you know, society as a whole? What What is the big picture of why cybersecurity is important?
1: Well, I, you know, I'll start first with a little bit of data that will say that cybersecurity doesn't matter. (laughs) And it's uh, data based upon an investment philosophy that I should have probably invested in years ago and never did that I call Bob. Bob stands for buy on breach. If you look historically at every major data breach that's been disclosed, by and large, there's no long-term shareholder degradation of shareholder value short-term sell-off, emotional, but no long-term shareholder decline. And so from that perspective, it doesn't matter if your job is to grow shareholder value in the long-term. And the other thing that I would submit that also is a thing for most business leaders that provide lip service to cybersecurity versus really focusing on it, is the fact that the National Association of Corporate Directors a year and a half ago, two years ago, did a, a survey of corporate directors and ask them a wide variety of questions. One of the questions is on cybersecurity. 61% of corporate directors said they would compromise on cybersecurity for a business objective. So despite all the lip service, I would say most executives don't care about cybersecurity. It doesn't matter. Um, Now, here's why it should matter. Every company is becoming a technology company. They have an app, they have a website. They're embedding technology into devices. They're embedding technology into their buildings. And the consequence of that, if we continue the path that we're on, is one of a societal risk. Even the World Economic Forum over the past several years has put cyber risk, not only as the number one business risk, but it's a societal risk up there with climate change, income disparity, polarization of society. And frankly, it's time we get our head out of our ass and drive a level of accountability at the executive level and to the people in charge of security internally and hold the security industry accountable to doing a better job.
0: Now, I was—I was, I was gonna say thats that, that just really such an interesting and very powerful like bedroom op- opening statement. There, there, Malcolm, you know, showing those 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 two uh, almost use cases. Um, I want to dive into the, the what you were saying there in terms of why it why it doesn't matter, and it's, that's just so interesting with what you were saying there um, in terms of that that mindset. You know, and. and I would like to even drill down in terms of the why that mindset is is pervasive and why that was the case. Does this historically go back to the fact that cybersecurity's you know roots was traced back to IT and for many executives, um, IT is a source of black magic and therefore it's out of sight, out of mind. Uh, how do we how did we come to this point where it's still it doesn't matter in in their eyes?
1: Well, you know, it it, it gets down to bottom line impact. Right, if if I'm in a, a public company, right, and there's no long-term shareholder degradation and my responsibility is shareholder value. Yeah, I might have a problem that I have to spend 50 or 100 million dollars, hire a post-breach CISO to come in, pay them a ton of money. And, and I've had some cash drain. But if my stock is up 20, 30, 40, a couple hundred percent a year or so after the breach, you know, there's no, no real impact. Yeah, you know, CEO gets fired and they have a 40, 50, 60, 100 million dollar exit package. They don't feel any personal harm, right? CISO gets paid out to leave because they're the fall person. So the economics of the problem. You know, not only for the industry itself who makes money on. So, again, there's two economic issues. There's um, the economics of the industry that profits from the insecurity of computing, right? And so, economically, if more risk grows, the industry makes more money at a macroeconomic level. The industry doesn't have an economic incentive to really solve the problem. Hence the feature economy and the band-aid bubblegum bailing wire, hence the marketing machinery perpetuating failed controls, hence the public policy arm of some security companies perpetuating a compliance regime towards dated technology that doesn't work. And then you look at the economics of the business. If I'm spending money on security, it doesn't grow my revenue. takes away from my net income, it takes away from my margin. And then further, security and controls impede business velocity because controls create friction. Friction impedes business velocity, right? Which is why people go around the controls. And then the security industry says, we're going to sell you more solutions to deal with rogue IT and rogue vendors. And you go... Do they have an incentive to remove friction and improve business velocity? No, right? So it's all frankly effed up in the economic incentives and being a former finance guy and an economist by background, I look at it and I go, "We until we approach this as an economics issue and look at the economics of the industry and change the incentive structures so that people who've sold controls that don't work get punished in the marketplace for it not just this long tail of the death spiral um, by people nipping at their heels and then change the economic incentives for organizations where there's real accountability, which is one of the reasons why I've been advocating, you know, at least for the past year or so, the equivalent of a Sarbanes-Oxley law for cybersecurity. Let's have the corporate officers attest to the integrity of their controls and when they their attestation is wrong, there's personal liability as well as corporate implications for that. That would affect the shareholders and them.
2: Yeah, which is interesting from a reputational perspective, but then it, it again ties back into the uh, insurance industry, which we haven't talked about yet today, but the idea, okay, you have cyber liability. Well, then that you know gets into the, Uh, professional liability and and, you know uh, whatever else so um directors and officers professional liability it's uh it, it becomes an ugly mess but i like i like what you're saying there in terms of um the accountability i think uh that's such an important piece that it lacks if if in your in your point of view the economics uh don't work out um what would you say, like, I'm hoping what, we have a silver lining <laughs> somewhere in this. What would you say then uh, would be, like, a, a good way to, um, well, op- people often say balance, you know, functionality and the operations of an organization uh, versus cybersecurity. And maybe a better word for that is, you know, can you have both? Can you optimize both?
1: Well, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, and again, it's, um, I, I, I hate the word balance. If you look at a balance beam, one goes up, one goes down, right? You're making trade-offs. We do this because it's the context of the framework that we're using to frame the problem. I've always looked at my role running security as that of a choice architect. I'm architecting choices for the business, right? Right. Some of those choices I get to make, some of the CIO does, some of the business unit general manager, some of the CEO or board does. But when I look at my choice architecture and how I frame my choices, I look at risk through three lenses. Risk to the business, which the business might say, yeah, I can take it, no long-term shareholder degradation. Risk to my customer, well, that's brand damage. That might make me a little bit more um, concerned and then perhaps societal risk right something pervasive so three lenses to risk is one way to frame it to drive a different dialogue but getting back to balancing between cost and quality security versus privacy security versus functionality again when you when you trade off one goes up one goes down the framing we should be using is that of a calculus equation They're all coefficients in this equation. It's a design and architectural challenge to maximize the coefficients of each one. If you start from a trade-off perspective, you're always going to decline one and increase the other. If you start saying, my role is to optimize these things, you'll do the harder architectural work to focus on the risks. The total costs of controls and the friction those controls have on the business and then you're going to push your team the industry and yourself to do the harder work to weed and feed your environment of the crap that actually is increasing your total cost and not solving your risk and getting in way of the business velocity and so there's a whole control philosophy control strategy that i've written into my books um, and stuff that i call my nine box of controls i think If we can get people to have that type of holistic business risk mindset and frame the functionality right, and frankly, hold the CISO accountable to doing a business role in addition to the risk role, and then hold the board and the executives accountable to not only the business outcome, but the risk outcomes, that will then force a change because they'll be buying and acting differently, which will then force the economic change onto the security marketplace itself.
2: And I think uh, another, another aspect to that is the managing and the identifying, managing, reducing of the risk versus just reacting to it, which again ties back to those, those drivers that you laid out there.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, another view that I have, and again, we take this a little bit out of the cyber context. Obviously, we've been in a a pandemic situation for a year and some. Drives me nuts that all, all, so many people are like, oh my God, who could have thought this would have occurred? I'm like, what was your damn job to contemplate risk and manage it? It was a certainty it would occur again. And if you weren't prepared for it, shame on you. That's,
0: that's so that's so powerful Malcolm and you know I, I, you're, the, the, I, love, I love that term choice architect by the way I'm, I'm still processing that term it, it, it's it's so um, eloquent and yet so so descriptive and um, I want I want to just get your thoughts and you know we're, we're talking again about, at least initially that publicly traded you know enterprise level um, what does it look like then at maybe a small mid-sized business level you know is cyber risk more of an existential? risk there, you know, does the Bob <laughs> that, uh, methodology still apply there? I'm curious how that's different at maybe the SMB level compared to enterprise.
1: Yeah, the a great question. And, and having been at some small and medium businesses since I left Intel, right? Cause I've been in security startups and, and I know a bunch of, of friends that do virtual CISO work and stuff like that in the SMB space. There's uh, probably a higher level of uh, acuteness to what I'll call an extinction event that could occur for an SMB, right? You know, that that cataclysmic event that, you know, really puts you out of business. Um, one could be, you know, you're a so- small light manufacturing organization and your factory gets ransomed. I mean, you're dead if you don't manufacture, you might not have the cash to pay. It could be a going out of business scenario. Um, you're probably not going to go out of business because of a data loss that that affects personal information you might have to defend uh, uh, some type of consumer class action but that'll only occur if you're big enough and a plaintiff's attorney thinks you're worth the time right and they don't want to kill you they just want to extract a, a toll the equivalent of legal ransomware right um, you know so so in that sense, there's there's an impact that really could create that existential threat. or think of business email compromise uh, and and you drain the the cash um, enough that you you know that that SMB can't make payroll. They can't you know cover the the benefits cost for their employees. Um, they their accounts, you know receivable are too far out. That really could create again, a, a level of precariousness for sustainability of the business. So I think in, in the SMB space, the acuteness of pain and and the impact is is greater.
0: Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that insight. I just have one more quick question before I hand over to Christian to, 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 to bring it home. But um, you, met, you mentioned the pandemic and you know, in, in terms of this past year and what we've seen you know, the rise of, you know, working from anywhere. Uh, Why that maybe at a conceptual level, you know, are we moving into a new security paradigm? You know, like what in terms of new emergence in terms of security, not necessarily from a technology point of view, but maybe in terms of how we view security from a, a risk perspective. Um, what, what are we looking at moving forward in terms of a, a security, you know, or like the networking from anywhere uh, a paradigm?
1: Well, you know, to be honest, it's an interesting thing. And again, having grown up at Intel, Intel creating the Centrino platform, the first wireless, you know, laptop and stuff like that. My team was worldwide. We worked 24 by seven. I worked from anywhere and I have for years. I was on bridges and video conference meetings. Heck, I'd have, you know, my own conference room and I'd be the only one in it because every play, everybody was every place else, right? So for the people that that are, there are certain businesses that you have to be on-prem for, right? Manufacturing, nursing, a store, stuff like that. Everything else, the people that were holding on to on-prem work, there are current arcane management philosophies um, will die off or should have died off years ago. And, and you know, it, people need to, to, to let go of it. Now, when you start thinking about that, then you go, okay, Is the attack surface really that different? To some extent it is, but if you already had employees that had a level of mobility because they had a phone, a laptop, and occasionally did email and stuff like that, their home was already at risk and causing a risk issue for the enterprise because they'd VPN in and stuff like that. The amount of work they're doing at home now is changing. But I go, if they're now going, oh my God, I've got to work anywhere situation, when 50% of their work, they had mobility. I'm like, you had your head up your ass, you already had that situation, why didn't you manage it? So why are you panicking about it now, right? So I'm a little bit hard on this, as you can see, because I think the problem we have is that we always shoot looking backwards and our risk focus is so myopic to the things biting me in the ass today, and, and versus thinking out, and, and I think we can nudge, so I have this concept that I call risk nudge, right? Again, think of that asteroid, the extinction event, it's so far out, You know, your job is to contemplate risk and then manage it. Well, if you can contemplate risk a year, two years, three years, four years, five years down the road, again, former finance guy, strategic planner, right? you can nudge out of the path by just making small, minute decisions now for things that are probable down the road. And then it's not a cataclysmic event, right? Um, And, and so it's, it's a, it's, that's why I go. It's a choice architecture. It's a contemplation of risk. It's, it's really having a wide angle view and that ability to focus in at a microscopic level in a sub second and then walk back out and look at the entire universe and juxtapose those things all the time. And if you're not doing it, you're frankly not doing your leadership role. You're tactically managing.
2: You know, I, I get the last question here and I'm going to try to, uh put two questions into one and then Malcolm, you can bring us home with the answer to this. But I'm I'm sitting here pondering, what should we call this episode? Should it be holding um, executives and boards accountable or get your head out of your ass? (laughs) Trying to balance both of those things. And it is that balance equation again. Uh, But my two questions into one, when you're looking at the, the people are the perimeter, I know you've talked uh, quite a bit about this before, and you also talk about leadership. So putting those two together, um, what is the role of a leader when it comes to cybersecurity uh, at the top level and then throughout, and then how important are, are the, the people in cyber defenses?
1: Yeah, great question. So. Um So I used to teach, when I was back at Intel, the Leadership Challenge, which is a um, book from Kuznis and Posner uh, professors at Santa Clara. It's all around behaviors and traits and stuff like that. And they had one of the best definitions of leadership in that book that I've always um, focused on. Leadership is the art of mobilizing others to want to struggle for shared aspirations. This is the challenge. We. It's a struggle to do our jobs day in and day out because of of the two um, battlefields we face, the external one, right? Which we talk about threat actors and threat agents and all that other stuff. But there's another battlefield that's the internal battlefield of budgets, bureaucracies, and behaviors. And that's a grind too, right? So we have to mobilize our teams to wanna persist and persevere, beat their head against the wall on both of those all the time. Risk management's a contact sport. It's like playing hockey, right? You check people in the glass, why? So they know you're there. Um, It's not a spectator sport. And if you're not on the field, you're not on the, the ice, and you're not playing with full contact, you're not doing your damn job, right? Um, that's that's the, the the CISO, CSO leadership role. But at the same time, and it, 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 my uh, whiteboard back behind me um, is a leadership framework that I've developed for a future book. Um, the way in which you, you sustained that is through um, six things that I have a service mark on these six words. I believe, I belong, I matter. If you can create a culture in your team and then expand it through the rest of your organization because you can connect the dots between your security actions and the business objectives, you can have your team routinely say, I believe in the management, I believe in the mission, I believe in myself, and I believe in in the team. I feel like I matter because the security work we do makes a difference and the organization that we support realizes that. And then you know, you you feel like you you matter because of the impact that you can have. So you've got to connect the security mission to the business mission, right? To get that linearity of belief, that linearity of belonging, and that linearity of the actions that the security team does matters to the business, matters to their customers and matters to society. I think if you do that, you can solve all those problems
0: that's an incredibly epic way of uh, <laughs> ending this this podcast malcolm i i know christian i could honestly listen to you for for hours like, like you're you're such a wealth of knowledge and just this has been an absolute delight and treat listening to you for the, the better part of 20 25 minutes here like this has just been truly a a, a master class <laughs> <and> on, <laughs> on all sorts of levels we're very very appreciative of of your time today. And I, I know our, our, our viewers and listeners are just going to be blown away by the awesomeness of this episode.
1: I'm happy to be here and and thanks for inviting me. And, uh, yeah, you know, if, if any of your readers or listeners, uh, you know, want to chat, you know, um, ping me, I, I love to talk to people. Um, I'm, I'm harsh on my views at times, but <laughs> you, people always know what I think and they know where I stand and why I stand there. Love it.
0: We, we love it, Malcolm. Thank you again so much for taking time of your, your, your busy schedule to join us today. And Christian and I will be back momentarily to wrap up today's episode. Uh, that was such an engaging, engaging conversation, Christian. I mean, uh, I honestly could, I think I could have listened to Mark speak for another two and a half hours. Like he <laughs> is just a, a wealth of knowledge, really engaging speaker, very curious to what uh, your key takeaway was from his thoughts today.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, he could have gone on and on. I know there was a lot of depth in that well to, to for us to, to pull on. Um, and so it is a shame that we had to end it when we did. But what stands out to me is his experience from an incident response perspective, from walking hand in hand with organizations that are, you know, the house is burning around them, they're in the midst of a data breach, a cyber attack, uh, and they just are confused. They don't know what to do. They haven't planned. And so what we can take from that is when the house is burning down is not the time to call a cybersecurity expert or call a digital forensics firm. Um, Although if you haven't done anything beforehand, yes, it is the time to do that. But a better time would have been, you know, a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. Have an incident response plan and you will know who's doing what and when and why.
0: Yeah, and, and that's um, so, so well said there, Christian. You know, and and uh, for me, I think my, my key takeaway uh, was you know, he was really, I think Mark did a really great job of talking in about the pra- practical and pragmatic steps that small and mid-sized organizations can take. And this isn't rocket science or taking apart a, a jet engine, which Mark is fully qualified to, to, to do. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, uh, so I, I really appreciate him laying that out in very clear, very concise steps for, for our uh our listeners and viewers, and, and so speaking of which, you know, we're, we're always grateful to um, our amazing uh, loyal listeners and uh, and viewers, and we want to make sure that we, we thank them as well as thank, thank Mark for, for joining us uh, uh, today. Um, as always, please do check out uh, previous podcasts on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast uh, YouTube page, as well as other podcasts that fly under the Conversations That Matter uh, banner, that, which can also be found on, on YouTube. Uh, but until next time, be well, be safe. And we will catch you next time on the Cybersecurity Matters Podcast.